This is the first day of this September 2021 seven-day session. It's our second seven-day session since the pandemic began, uh, at which uh, we have good majority of people uh, at in person at Chapin Mill, plus some 20 uh, others uh, online. <clears throat> We're going to go back to uh, what I see is, I've commented on many times in Sashin, it's the teachings of the Chinese Zen master Da Wei. Uh, it's from a book called Swampland Flowers, the letters and lectures of Zen master Da Wei. And this is uh, translated by Christopher Cleary. Going to uh, there's a there's a some biography of Da Wei in in this uh, Swampland Flowers book, but there's also one in uh, the book Zen's Chinese Heritage by Andy Ferguson. Uh, I'm going to start off with that one, the latter one. Uh, his dates, Da Wei's dates, are 1089 to 1163 which places him in the Sung dynasty. We often hear about the previous dynasty, the Tang dynasty, as the golden age of Zen. There are scholars who think that uh, the Sung uh, distinguished itself even more, but that's, uh, that's a discussion for scholars. Uh, both, both of those periods of time in Chinese history were, were great periods. Uh, Zen was riding high. Chan Actually, Chan is the original Chinese word. And then when it went to Japan, it came, became Zen. He was a disciple of Yuan Wu. Yuan Wu is most famous as the author of uh, the Blue Cliff Record, a collection of koans. Uh, he left home at the age of 17, uh, to live at Wisdom Cloud Temple and uh, received ordination there the following year. As a young man, it says, as a young man, Dawei happened to encounter a copy of the Record of Yunmen. It really means this is a standard kind of uh, titling the Record of Yunmen, the Record of Lin Chi, and so forth. This means the teachings of of Yunmen. Yunmen, his uh, Japanese name is Ummon, who appears in uh, more koans than anyone other than uh, Joshu or Zhao Zhou. So Dawei read this copy of the record of Yunmen. He felt strangely familiar with the text, as though he had previously studied it. Later he traveled and practiced under various Zen masters, He uh, climbed a certain mountain to train under a Zen master named Zhan Tangzhung. Zhan recognized Da Wei's unusual ability and assigned him, assigned him to work as his personal attendant. It's considered a, a quite an honor. Uh, 
But this is what's interesting. But Dawei's obstinate personality clashed with his teacher, leading to an exchange in which Jean ridiculed the young student, saying, you haven't experienced enlightenment, and the problem is your intellectual understanding. I can uh, sympathize with the teacher's uh, reaction to this. It's 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 tough sledding when a teacher uh, is trying to work with an obstinate personality. Obstinate is pretty close to stubborn. Um, Recently I was just talking with someone and um, said that I... It, uh, stubbornness is not a trait that we want to develop in Zen practice. It can be a real impediment to going further. In our culture, stubbornness, uh, there's a certain, um, I don't know, uh, pride that people take. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm stubborn. I'm a stubborn guy. Yeah, I'm stubborn. Um, yeah, like I stubbornly refuse to get vaccinated. I stubbornly refuse to wear a mask. Uh, it's, a, it, it's also, I think, what they have in common, obstinate and stubborn, is rigidity. And that's not at all uh, what, what is developed through Zen practice. It's the opposite. We want to learn to flow, to, to accommodate ourselves to the situation, to circumstances. So that gave us a little snapshot of Tao Wei, his obstinacy. I would say probably Roshi Kaplow may have been obstinate when he first landed in Japan to begin his Zen practice. It goes on, later, Jean, that's the teacher, became very ill. He called Dawei to his side before he died, and he directed him to seek out Yuan Wu, become his student. And so things came to pass. Jean died, and Dawei did go to Yuan Wu's temple, uh, where he heard the master address the monks. In his talk, Yuan Wu spoke of an incident in which a monk asked Yunmen, we're back to Yunmen there, what is the place where all Buddhas come forth? Quite a provocative question. What is the origin of all the Buddhas? What is the origin of this world? To which Yunmen had answered, the water on East Mountain flows uphill. So that was Yuan Wu relating the, the, the thing with Yunmen. And then someone in the audience asked Yuan, Yuan Wu the same question. What is the place where all Buddhas come forth? And Yuan Wu said, warm breezes come from the south, but in the palace there's a cold draft. And upon hearing these words, Da Wei, who was in the assembly, 
It says Dawei's past and future were cut off. He found himself in a samadhi. No thoughts of past, no thoughts of future, no thoughts of present. No thoughts. No mind. Absolute purity of the em- purity of an empty mind. It goes on to say, although there was movement, forms were unmanifested. He felt himself sitting in a still, barren place. And Yuan Mu continued speaking at that time. It hasn't been easy, but you've made your way to this great field. What a pity if you were now to die and not be able to attain life. It's a great error to rely on words. Without knowing where you'll fall, just let go of the edge of the cliff. Let yourself do this. After you wake up, you won't be deceived again. You must believe in this. So this is very well put, Yuan Wu. You've made your way to this great field, this this illimitable, luminous realm of no mind, samadhi. It's the precondition for awakening. He's saying, okay, you made it, you made it to the door, to the doorway. Now, don't rest, don't settle into that and be satisfied with a samadhi, even a deep samadhi. And I'm saying this emphatically because it's one of the the tests that some people will encounter later, most likely later in Sashin, where they have the may have the temptation of just settling into this and that and just blissing out instead of pressing on. It says, thereafter, Dawei was selected to be an attendant in the wood hall. I have no idea what that is. In this post, each day, he accompanied the patrons of the temple when they waited to see and then and then when they waited to see and then entered the abbot's quarters for interviews. Yuan Wu always said to them, it's like words without words, like a creeping vine held up by a tree. And then there's this uh, lengthy uh, account of the specifics of Dawei's second uh, enlightenment experience. And, you know, I've read from it in Taisho, and uh, I always get tangled up in so-and-so saying to so-and-so who was repeating what he had said earlier to so-and-so. And then it comes to this point where 
uh, were the, the words that brought uh, Dai Wei to awakening are, are just, it's, it's, it sounds so anticlimactic. It's, it's hard to understand what, what happened there. Um, he just, he, the, 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 the master, uh, here we go. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not getting drawn into that. It's just too hard for people hearing it orally. It's hard enough reading it to keep straight who's saying what to whom. And then it ends with, uh, what sounds like kind of a, very, very um, puzzling response. So I'm just going to switch now to the next text where we started, Swampland Flowers, to their uh, biographical account, his rather, the Cleary brother, uh, Christopher Cleary. I'm just going to back up a little bit to before Dawei's first awakening it says he took delight in the doings of the Chan school and read through the records of all the houses. There are five houses or five main teaching lineages at the time. Um, it says, but he had doubts about the five schools since originally there had been but one Bodhidharma. Why were there so many different schools? I remember when, when I used to wonder about starting to understand that all religions teach essentially the same thing. Um, that uh, wonder why are there all these different religions? Uh, well, the answer is not going to be a surprise to most people. It's because they're different people, different types of people. They're people of different temperaments and different affinities with different religions. So it only, only makes sense that there would be different religions. It says that even at, his, at this early age, the age of 19, Da Wei would be taken for a later embodiment of previous Chan masters. Uh, here again, still before before his first awakening, uh, he went to the, the previous master uh, before Yuan Wu. It says, when he got there, his intellectualism was unrestrained. Yeah, people who are good at connecting concepts finding relationships with among concepts, uh, want to stay on that ground and uh, converse in that in that in those terms. One day that previous master asked, Why are are your nostrils boundless today? And there's something there in the translation that leaves me wondering uh, it may be some idiom, no doubt, in China. And Dawei, that's not the important part. Dawei replied, because I'm at your place, 
to which the master said, you phony Chan man. One day, uh, Dawei was reading a sutra, and the master asked, what sutra are you reading? He answered, the Diamond Sutra. The master said, quoting, quoting the Diamond Sutra, this Dharma is everywhere equal without high or low. Why is Yun Chu mountain high and Pao Feng mountain low? Dawei replied, this Dharma is everywhere equal without high or low. To which Tang, the master said, you could be a lecturer's assistant. One day, uh, the teacher then said to Dawei, you understand my Chan here at once. When I had you explain, you could explain. Yeah, these these types are good at explaining, mansplaining. You could explain, and when I had you give informal talks or general lectures, commenting on and extolling the ancients, you could do that too. There's just one thing that's not there. Do you know what? Dawei answered, what? And the teacher said, you only lack this one liberation that's in the burst of power. If you don't get this one liberation, there's Chan while I'm talking with you in private, but as soon as you leave the Doksan room, there's not. There's Chan while you're awake and thinking, but as soon as you fall asleep, there's not. If you're like this, how can you be a match for birth and death? To which Dawei replied, this is precisely my point of doubt. In other words, this is what's gnawing at me. It's a a good sign here that Dawei would uh, kind of uh, submit uh, to his limitations, recognize his limitations and acknowledge that... uh, he was, he comes sort of come to his limit. And then we already related from the other biographical account uh, when this teacher uh, was dying, he said, uh, recommended he go to Yuan Wu. And then I read more about, I read that already from the other, for Andy Ferguson's book. And uh, now Da Wei had come to quite deep realization, and uh, Yuan Wu had divided te- the teaching duties with Da Wei. Soon Da Wei was widely esteemed throughout the Chan communities. He came to the notice of a high minister who was given a purple robe and the name Buddha Sun, that's S-U-N, Buddha Sun, as a sign of imperial honor. And this was at the age of 37. Dawei was only 37. And then some, some politics here, a little drama. And any story, you know, Netflix, they like to work in some, some drama. 
uh, when the Qin forces took the Song capital in 1126, Dawei was well enough known to be on their list. He had to flee south to avoid being part of the booty. The new emperor invited, in quotes, invited Yuan Wu to take up residence at a certain leading monastery. Dawei went there. Oh, yeah. The, the emperor invited Yuan Wu, not Dawei, to take up residence at a certain leading monastery. Dawei himself also went there, and Yuan Wu invited him to be the head monk. Here's another little exchange uh, between Dawei and his teacher, Yuan Wu. Whenever he went to Doksan, Yuan Wu would always listen to his words. Afterwards, one day, as they were going to their private quarters, Yuan Wu said, If there were a Chan man like me, how would you deal with him? This is classic Chinese indirect uh, speech using the subjunctive. He's saying, here, I'm a Chan man, how are you going to deal with me? But he says in this very refined, if there were a Chan man like me, how would you deal with him? Dawei said, what unexpected good fortune if there were. As Dung Po said, having been an executioner all my life, when I meet a fat fellow, I slice. Yuan Wu laughed loudly and said, rather it's you who should enter the room with me and be my teacher. You've pinned me to the wall. Yuan Wu later asked him, sitting on the tiger's head, gathering in the tiger's tail, understanding the source meaning at the first phrase, what is the first phrase? Dawei said, this is the second phrase. Yeah, so it sounds like, again, that Dawei had a keen wit. And uh, wit, I'm using the word in the old, the old uh, sense of the word of intelligence. Uh, sometimes the two go together, just keen intelligence and being humorous. But uh, it uh, certainly has, it can be a problem uh, in terms of real deep Zen practice. Students uh, then flock to Dawei. Uh, he himself received an imperial summons. Uh, within a year, over a thousand disciples had gathered, and, Lin, and Dawei was becoming known as the great reviver of Lin Chi Chan, Lin Chi, Rinzai, Zen. And that's still how he's known. He's kind of the... Uh, He's often mentioned in the same sentence as uh, Hakuin. Hakuin was Japanese, of course, and he was considered a great reviver of uh, Koan Zen. That's, that's more or less how we can understand 
Rinzai Zen or Linchi Zen. But uh, uh, several hundred years earlier, it was Dawei who really revived uh, the koan system. And then this this political dramas continued. Uh, high the high circles in the government were torn with dissension. Uh, I don't need to go into any any detail at all. Um, repercussions of the political struggle reached Dawei. Um, he was stripped of his imperial honors and certification. See, this this still goes on, doesn't it? People who uh, keep uh, informed of Chinese politics, there are these. Uh, they run hot and cold with certain people who ascend in government and then plummet to disgrace and then maybe even be uh, resuscitated again later in their life. It was a big thing in the Cultural Revolution and then from the mid-60s to the mid-70s. And he was he was sent to uh, a malarial area in a certain province. It says, of course, he continued the teaching of Chan, and in one summer is said to have produced thirteen enlightened people. And then, sure enough, Da Wei was exonerated of whatever, and at the age of sixty-eight, after fifteen years. Uh, in in the back 40, in the ex- semi-exile, he returned to the heart of the empire. Uh, he was asked to he was he asked to be excused from official temple duties, and he was allowed to retire. And then, at the age of 75. Uh, began showing signs of serious illness, and he told the congregation of monks and nuns and lay people, tomorrow I'm going. And then toward the pre-dawn hours, after he'd written his last bequest and a letter to the emperor, the monk who was attending on him asked him for a verse. This was a standard operating procedure with the Zen masters, a final verse. And uh, Da Wei, in a facetious voice, said, well, without a verse, I couldn't die, could I? But then he did take up a brush, and he wrote the following. Birth is thus, death is thus. Verse or no verse, what's the fuss? Then he let go of the writing brush and passed on. And that's Dawei's story. And in the remaining time, I'll wade into where we left off uh, the last time uh, we read from this text uh, a year or so ago. And um, on page 40. Again, the remember the subtitle, the letters and lectures. 
of Zen Master Dawei. And here's how he starts. The Buddha preached all doctrines to save all minds. I have no mind at all, so what's the use of any doctrines? In other words, I'm beyond this this ordinary uh, discursive mind that works with uh, doctrines and concepts and things. Oh, wait, this is him quoting someone else. It's not always obvious in these books, but it, it was in quotes. Um, and then he himself says, basically, there is nothing in any doctrine and no mind in mind. The real character of both mind and things is emptiness. And we know this is familiar from our affirming faith in mind. Back when we used to chant, uh, one of the main texts was affirming faith in mind, where we say, things are things because of mind, as mind is mind because of things. These two are merely relative, and both at source are emptiness. And then Dawei continues, But these days, students of the path often fear falling into emptiness. Those holding such views misapprehend expedient means and take the disease for the medicine. They are to be pitied deeply. They mistake the disease for the medicine. They think that that emptiness is some kind of a problem when it's actually the cure. And emptiness here, it's such an abstract word. But let's just say, let's bring it to the level of method, of practicality, um, of, of, of having nothing in the mind. Being liberated from attachment to thoughts. That's how we can understand his meaning of emptiness. This is the, this is the, uh, the, again, the purest state we can reach. Uh, Empty, having an empty mind means being beautifully, wondrously present, awake, and yes, responsive, responsive to everything and everyone. And then he quoted a, a famous Lehman Pong. Lehman Pong was one of the th- three most famous lay people in uh, the Zen tradition. Uh, Lehman Pong, Fudaishi, and Vimalakirti. Lehman Pong said, Don't be averse to falling into emptiness. Falling into emptiness isn't bad. And then Dawei said, He also said, Just vow to empty all that exists. Don't make real that which doesn't exist. Just vow to empty. You you don't want to make a project out of emptying things. Zen is a practice, ultimately, of non-doing. There's nothing we need to do we don't need to create an effect 
in our sitting. What he really means is, uh, well, we, we can just put it in these terms, allow all of the phenomena of the mind to recede, to to be seen as empty. Don't make real that which doesn't exist. It's a, it's a, a word that conveys this, reify. Reify is to make real what doesn't exist. Most people make their thoughts real. And so they're deceived by their thoughts. They believe their thoughts. They hear their thoughts, they notice their thoughts, and they somehow fall prey to them. But if even if even physical things are empty, ultimately, without any substance, that means, just means without any substance to them, how much more so can we see that thoughts and feelings and emotions are empty? Concepts are empty. Ideas are empty. Empty just means, yes, no substance to them, no roots to them. They have no abiding reality. They are impermanent. They arise in the mind, whether it's thoughts, emotions, feelings. They arise in the mind. They last a shorter or longer period of time, and then they pass. That's what empty means. Don't make real that which doesn't exist. Don't react to your thoughts. Don't get bogged down in your thoughts. And then Dawei says, if you can see through this one saying, then the ignorance bound of the ignorance born of boundless evil deeds will instantly melt away and disperse. Even the whole great canon preached by the Tathagata, the Buddha, cannot explain this one sentence. This is our job this week, folks, is not making real that which doesn't exist, not dwelling in thoughts, not getting snagged by thoughts. What that requires is that you notice when the thoughts are taking a hold of you, taking hold of the mind. That's the real challenge, is we can be, we can be subsumed in our thoughts without knowing it. We can be lost in our thoughts for 10 minutes, 20 minutes, longer, without knowing it, because we're lost in them. So the work starts by noticing the thoughts. And then we can go back to whatever practice we're working on. Now, as I've said so often from this seat, we can't notice them until we notice them. We can't decide to notice the thoughts. But, but it's through the sitting 
that we begin to notice them more quickly. We're not lost as long in thoughts. We notice them more quickly. The more sitting we do, the more quickly we notice them. That's why sitting with all, rather, this is why Sashin, with all of the sitting we do, why it is such a powerhouse method of coming to awakening, or at least a method for uh, developing a kind of a turbocharged development of one's practice because of all the sitting. The more sitting, the sooner we notice the thoughts, and the sooner we can drop them by returning to our practice. And then uh, more from Dawei. This must be a letter because uh, I'm skipping a couple paragraphs here. And uh, he writes, Buddhist disciple Chen, you have realized that personal existence is false and that things are illusory. Again, illusory in the sense of everything's in flux, everything is evanescent, illusory. Amidst illusory falsehood, you were able to work on the saying, a dog has no Buddha nature. Suddenly, while washing your face, you found your nose and sent me a letter expressing your understanding, trying your hand at explaining Chan. This was like a three-day-old tiger cub who already has the spirit to devour an ox. The, uh, the um, kind of charming audacity to come before the teacher and explain rather than show one's understanding. He goes on, the message you conveyed in your explaining was like a lucky monkey hitting the ground with a stick. Where it hit, it went in a few inches, but where it missed, it had no grasp of the issue at all. Yeah, I've so often uh, seen this in Doksang where someone comes and it's a beginner usually, they they uh, explain what Mu is. They just they started working on Mu, and they come in and they explain it. How they're it's all conceptual. It's just their ideas about it. It may be good as far as an explanation goes, but uh, what do we say? A miss is as good as a mile. Dawei continues, though in the main your basis is already correct, you are not yet clear about the great Dharma. This is a common disease of beginners entering the path. If you can realize such a thing, push it to one side and take the essential gate of all the Buddhas and patriarchs and shut it at once. Only if you find a life on the other side of the primordial Buddha will you gain mastery of the Dharma. The other side of the primordial Buddha. What was that question that uh, we read earlier in Dawei's story? What is uh, where, where do all the Buddhas from? Where do all the Buddhas come forth? 
the beginning of everything, the origin, the source, the no beginning is beyond time. He ends this, Dawei ends this letter to his disciple. Just get the root, don't worry about the branches. Over a long, long time it will sink in thoroughly. Don't worry that you won't attain oneness. Work on it. Just get the root. The root is what is beyond all thoughts, beyond phenomena. It's the, the emptiness, the realm of emptiness, no-mindedness. Don't worry about the branches. The branches are all of the secondary things related to Zen practice, the um, doctrine, explanations. The various devotional practices, psychological study, uh, all the branches. Just get the root. Just move. What is it? Am I? We'll stop now and recite the four vows. <laughs> 